God's praise in sorry <laughs> in Psalm twenty Psalm thirty five verses twenty three to twenty eight on page two fifty if you're using a book Psalm thirty five verses twenty three to twenty eight stir up thyself wake that thou mayest judgment to me afford even to my cause O thou that art my only God and Lord. Shall we rise and sing to God's praise? You know, I'll lead us in prayer, but as you know yourselves that you have to go directly through Christ to the Father, and tremendous things can happen in the next few minutes as we make our request to God. The effectiveness of the prayers of the righteous is quite astounding. So let's do that, make sure that you, I lead, I have to choose what to pray about, but brothers, sisters, you go directly to Christ, 
to God the Father through Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come to you and we know that we have one mediator and we see him seated on your right hand. Father, we want again to start this evening by worshipping you, by acknowledging that there is no one like you, that you've been good to us, you've been good to me, you've been good to us all, you've given us health and strength and we ask that you would bless us this evening with a sense of your presence. Father, we ask, as the psalmist sang, said and sang there, that people would know the way of the righteous. And Father, we do ask for our brothers and sisters in congregations near us. We think of those fellowships in Inverness, those free church congregations, some of them larger, some of them smaller. And we ask that your hand would be there tonight and you would pour out your spirit in an abundant way. Father, we think on other charges of uh, different denominations. We think of our brothers and sisters in the Free Presbyterian churches there in, in Dingwall. We think on our friends from the Brethren and from the Baptists. Father, we think on churches like Inches Church and we ask that you would send your spirit through these denominations and through the, the towns around us. We think on uh, places like Torngreen where they're establishing a church this afternoon would have met and we pray as we swing to west our own, my own church of Ferntosh and right through into Dingwall. And Father, the many places in the north, Father, who where your word is scarce, where there is a famine of your word. Father, we would come as your people and request that you would speak loud, louder than we've heard, that you would send your convicting and energizing Holy Spirit to the people. Father, it, we are very clear that if you do not move, if you do not initiate prayer, if you do not send conviction of sin, nothing is going to happen. Father, we are entirely reliant on you. And we want to say that to you as an act of worship, but, but as an act, uh, a statement of fact. That we are empty, that we are like branches, totally dependent on the vine. And so, our God, we do ask that you would come. We've waited long. Some people here have been making this prayer for 70 plus years. That you would come in your power. The way we, our, maybe our fathers didn't see it, but our grandfathers and grandmothers saw it happen. And many of us from the island of Lewis of Skye have seen and heard the stories. And we have the books, Father, of what your right arm can do in power and father we submit to you we pray that you would use us use this congregation father in the way that you used congregations around here before father we pray on for our land we pray for the cities we think in Aberdeen Edinburgh Dundee Glasgow these big cities father and we think in the many other small Congregations, as we said already up in Caithness and Sutherland, Father, where we see numbers dwindling and the churches throughout our country pretending that all is well. Father, we do know that the predictions are not good. So, Lord, we pray you would not leave us, that you would come, that you would speak, you would act. Father, we pray you would raise up a John the Baptist to prepare the way for the Lord. That there would be a phenomenal revival somewhere that the BBC cannot resist talking about, that STV would have to show, that the newspapers would have to register, that this is a spiritual, lasting revival, and that your son would be honoured. Father, we pray for those in our land. We pray for our governments. We realise that already the, the dice has been cast and a new Prime Minister will be appointed tomorrow and will be 
uh, announced tomorrow and will be put into position on Tuesday by Her Majesty the Queen. And we do pray for whoever that is, that they would be touched by your spirit. Father, we do know the ability of our people to resist you and to use your name in vain. But we pray as your people, Father, come to our politicians and our leaders in Highland Council, in Holyrood, in Westminster. Father, we are troubled with many things and above all the indifference towards yourself. And so as a company of your people, we come to you this evening full of thanks and praise for what you've done for us and full of sadness, gloom and care over those who do not know you and are descending into an eternity without you. Father, we pray that you would quicken us, revitalise us. Father, we do ask all these things in the name of him who sits on your right hand, whose name you love to hear, in the name of our Saviour, the one who is there, our Mediator, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing again this time in Psalm 80, if I get it right, 86, it's on page 340, and it's, it's from the beginning, it's in uh, the Psalter again, page 340, O Lord, do thou bow down thine ear and hear me graciously. It's interesting, just as you rise, it's interesting how the psalmist often prays that God would listen. It's, quite a, it's a very, very common theme. Almost like saying, Lord, you're not listening. And so he, he prays a prayer that God would hear his prayer. O Lord, do thou bow down thine ear and hear me graciously, because I sore afflicted am, and am in poverty. Let's, shall we rise and sing these verses? <laughs>
We'll read from Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and I'm reading from the ESV. Verse 1. Then after 14 years, presumably 14 years after his Damascus experience, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately, before those who seemed influential, the gospel, so I set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I am not running, or had not run, in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality or favouritism. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through or in me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave me the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews in Antioch acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel I said to Cephas before them all if you though a Jew live like a Gentile and not like a Jew how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners yet we know that a person is not justified by works works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavour to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down I prove myself to be a transgressor. So that he's saying, if I, if I put back into place the law. Verse 19, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Amen. This is God's word, Galatians chapter 2. We're going to sing again to God's praise, and it's in Psalm 93, on my page 123, it sings Psalms, the Lord is King. His throne endures, majestic in his height. The Lord is robed in majesty and 
armed with strength and might. So the psalmist is saying to us here, as you people sing this psalm, recognize who he is. Make sure you're clear on who he is, and in doing that, you're worshipping God. Let's sing Psalm 93. a great psalm eh, to be able to sing together I thought we could look tonight at Galatians chapter 2 and uh, I don't really like hearing sermons on Galatians because it's I've, I've found it's always badly treated so normally when I hear online a sermon on Galatians chapter 2 it tells me that I'm a legalist because I wear a suit and tie you know, and it, it's always very simplistic, and it it gets into legalism and it deals with all sorts of things. It it makes it sound like circumcision is a big issue in the free church, etc., etc. And you realise just they're squeezing it. And so I've always carefully avoided Galatians. Uh, yeah. But I was studying Galatians chapter two recently, and there seemed to be a lot in it, and a uh, so. The other thing is, if you break it down, what you, what you have is an issue with Paul in conflict. It's always good to see how people react in conflict. You know, as I, I always do this myself, but my dear old father always taught me that you don't judge a person on how they act, but on how they react. So before getting married, he said, stand on her toe. See how she reacts. 
Uh, but you do, you see how people cope with pressures. And uh, so Paul here is in conflict. And what really happens is in Jerusalem there's conflict. And so they, you, you see that he, they say, no, your gospel's okay. I went to see them privately. And I said, look, this is what I preach. And they said, okay. But there was lots of stress. There was lots of people coming through the door that shouldn't have come through the door. So my gospel's been accepted, okay. And then, several years later, in Antioch, in comes Peter. My friendly Jews are over here, believers. And then comes people from James, Bishop of Jerusalem. And seats are suddenly empty. And there's conflict again. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me, just before you leave, let me have a wee word with you, Peter. No, no, you stay there. No, no, you just stay there and I'll tell you what I think of you. So it's in that situation you realise that Paul's gospel is really clarified. And so it's a fascinating chapter. Now I have to make, I don't know if it's a confession, but those of you who prepare food will know that sometimes you get all the ingredients to prepare ah, something. And so you can get a bit of structure to your, to your dish. But when you work it, it doesn't quite work out. So I haven't been able to come up with a sermon with two points. Three points. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go through verse by verse. Not every verse, but verse by verse. And I'm going to take the points and I'm going to explain them. And then I'm going to apply them. And because this morning I was a wee bit heavy, yeah, I'll try and change my tone to a bit more neutral, if that's okay. So we'll try and take it from there. And we'll see some points, because what captured me about this chapter, it just is bursting with ingredients. There is so much in it. So let's remember the Galatian church. You, you remember Paul's first missionary journey, A.D. 46, A.D. 48. He's going through a Galatia and he, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, probably Timothy's converted then. And what is amazing, if you just think, uh, I know it because I've been here at the time, how many years it's taken for you to appoint elders. Well, Paul did it on the return journey. A few months later, he came through this brand new church and said, you, you, and you are elders. And they said, what, me? Yeah. But this is what an elder needs to be. One wife. No drunkenness, etc., etc. So, it, it was fascinating church. And then, you know, some year, this is probably ten years later, he's writing them. And he's saying to them, you've left the gospel. What's gotten into you? Let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what happened in Jerusalem. And let me tell you what happened in Antioch. And uh, I'm grieved. So, so out of that comes a lot of interesting facts. And so if, if I can go through, and if you've got a Bible, you might want to look at the verses, and I've got them down here, and we'll just go into them, and where I can draw an application, I will. Look at verse 2. I went up to Jerusalem. Now, it's very difficult. He talks about going up to Jerusalem in verses 1 and 2. Uh, it's there in ESV in, in verse 1. It is a... Was this the Acts 15 Council of Jerusalem? We don't know. What's very strange, lots of commentators think this is the Council of Jerusalem, Acts 15. But it's very difficult to say it is, because you would have thought if it was, then he would have mentioned that, that a document was produced, a letter was produced. So Galatians, I don't need to discuss this any longer, because here's the document. But he doesn't do that. So it's quite difficult to know, verse 1. But look at the second verse. I went in response to, of a revelation. I went up because of a revelation and beset before them. So he went up because of a revelation. And what Paul is saying here is, 
I am guided by God. I am, there's two things that probably come out and it comes out later. I am guided by God. I am guided by revelation. So my guidance comes from God, but my gospel comes from God. And later on, he's going to make a big thing about that, that my gospel. If you look at chapter 1, if you've got a Bible, verse 15, I'll just read it uh, from verse 15 to 18. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately, I didn't consult with anyone. No one. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I didn't go anywhere. I got my gospel from God. Uh, But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, presumably after three years after there is Damascus experience, uh, that a I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him for 15 days. So one thing we need to realize is that the apostle got his gospel from God. That's what marks Paul out. I I don't need to, you know, he was standing here, I don't need to go to any of you and say, tell me what you think the gospel is about. I know what the gospel is about because I'm an apostle. I got the gospel from God. And and so we don't know how often or how much God met with the Apostle Paul. But we know, uh, he says twice, I've put it in my notes, Romans 2, 16, 2 Timothy 2, 8. He talks about my gospel. This is my gospel. And, And we know the scripture is quite quiet on some meetings. For instance, one of the quietest meetings. So we don't know. Paul doesn't really tell us about when and how the Lord met him. Maybe in Arabia there, presumably in Arabia. But there's other meetings. There's that one great silence that comes up in 1 Corinthians 15 where where they talk about after the resurrection, who did Jesus meet with? Well, it says, and I've jotted it down in in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-5, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, And then the twelve. Sorry? He appeared to who? Cephas, Peter. But what what happened? Who said what? Let's leave that. Don't know. But before the Lord appeared to the other disciples, the other eleven, he had a word with Peter. So would Peter ever? Let's just leave that. And so in the same way, we don't know what the Lord said to Paul. But we do know he came out of Arabia. He came up to Jerusalem. Very, very clear. Now that's, that's the bedrock for Galatians. Do not play around with the gospel in my presence, says Paul. Peter! No, 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 Peter, you listen to me. I'll tell you what the gospel is. Because you are not acting in accordance with the truth. Because I know what the gospel is, because it's been given to me. And, and, and Paul is very careful about what he says about his interaction with the heavenlies. I've put down a couple of verses, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 and 2. I must, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. And this is again, he uses what we're saying this morning. He doesn't say it's himself. We know it's himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. Or 1 Corinthians 4.1. This then is how you ought to regard us. As servants of Christ and as have been entrusted with the mystery God has revealed. So there's a driving power behind Paul. I was given a 
revelation of the mystery. And you know how in Ephesians and elsewhere he talks about the mystery being revealed. So I know something. Now that's the backdrop to Galatians 2. Galatians 2 is the big event. On the, the free church would not be here if Paul lost the fight in Antioch. He records in Galatians 2. The gospel would be watered and diminished. And so this is a huge chapter for us. And so that's, that's the sort of backdrop to a lot of what goes on in the letter of Galatians. You know, it's Paul saying, Okay, come on. I can take you on. Because you see, I was handed this gospel directly by Christ. So come on, Peter. Come on, James's pals. Send on the Bishop of Jerusalem. I know the gospel, and you will have to kill me to silence it. You know, and it's a very powerful presentation that Paul gives throughout Galatians. So let me go on to verse, uh, oh, what chapter I'm on? Chapter 2. That, uh, that's one. If you'll see again, verse 2, Galatians 2, verse 2, if you've got, I went up because of a revelation set before them, though privately, very important, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. And here is this man. Wow, you see, he's tough. He's tough on the gospel. I'm certain on the gospel. But I'm not so certain on me. And so here is a man who's prepared to have himself questioned. You know, I'm just sort of thinking it now. When you do a present academic presentation, you've got to do a waiwa. And you've got to stand before the great and the good and answer these questions. And here is Paul saying, I would like to talk to you because I'm worried that I might have run in vain. Now it's very difficult to know what he means by that. And the principle we want to look at is he's prepared to ask the question. So it could be, one extreme could be, is he then saying, look, this is my gospel. Please check it out. That can't be. Because the rest of Galatians is all about, I know the gospel. The other extreme would be that it could be, there's some questionable things in my life. There's some behaviours I'm a bit unsure of. Could you check it out? Now it can't be that because he talks very clearly and very credibly about the transparency of his life. You know how I lived among you, he's going to say to the Thessalonians. You know that I was like a mother with a child. I hid nothing. You know me. So it can't be these. So what could it be? And the commentators are all debating on it. And but it could be the middle ground. It could be this. I have worked harder than any of you. I have preached more often. I have been beaten more often. I have a team of men that goes from place to place. I don't circumcise the Gentiles. I have worked, I've preached right the way through here. I've gone to Athens. And I come to Jerusalem. And I see all these believers. And although I have suffered and worked and strained and prayed, I see very little. I see empty seats. Am I doing something wrong? Can you tell me? Is there something about the way I run my ministry that means that, well, you all have, you know, your happy, clappy times. 
high struggle. And so, you know, you, you, have, you have that. Let me just read 2 Corinthians 4. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves. This is him talking to the Corinthians, who, who are a wee bit uneasy about. In great endurance, in trouble, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. Peter, you haven't gone without a meal. In purity, in understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet, etc., etc. He says, I have given this work everything I've got. And all of Asia have left me. Demas has fallen in love with this present world. But one thing we do know is that he was sure of the gospel and he was sure of his ethics. So it could be that. But the point I wanted to make with your good selves is here is a mature man. There's many mature men in here tonight. There's many mature women in here tonight. Here is a man who was prepared to say in private with several check me out I'm asking you the question have I run in vain have I wasted my life am I doing something wrong now that is a big man who's prepared to do that and so my own notes when I was doing my own Bible study do I ask myself that question am I always right whether on my theology, on my gospel, or on my ethics, or on just what I preach, what I am. Am I prepared to go and find somebody and ask them, or do I just keep avoiding? Make sure nobody asks me anything, to keep running. And that begs the other side, which is why I wanted to lean on your good selves for me, forget you, but is there a godly man or woman that you can go to? Is there a godly man that I can go to? Who will say, David, tell me, I'm listening. Paul said, I was ready to do that as a mature believer. And so one of the big issues as I was thinking about what we face is I don't know about you but I've got endless people giving me advice. People are always correcting me. I've got no problem with getting advice. Pointless even if I never asked for it. Somebody's always telling me what I'm doing wrong. And that's one of the big dangers. You know you can get as much trivial advice without even asking for it. By getting serious, sober advice. Who, who do I go to? And of course here we see, if you look at verses 2 to 4, there's two groups. There's a private group that Paul went to. And there's what I've called a noisy group. You know, we started here at 6 o'clock. Just see, all of a sudden the doors open and in troops a bunch of guys. Which I've seen in other churches. Listening listening and that's what happened you know these guys came in noisy group giving advice trying to you'll see it there uh, this, this verse 4 this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ and to make us slaves we did not give in to them for a moment here's a group of people very happy to give advice talk 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 spies I never asked you for your advice but they're more than happy to give advice. Now our world is flooded. You can't read a newspaper. You can't go on the television. You can't come into a church where someone's going to give you advice. But where do we get the advice? You'll see in that private group, look at verse 7. On the contrary, this is the private group. I went and saw them privately. When they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, you know, they, they, they saw for 
he had worked and you know, they, they accepted uh, I'm, I'm trying to look at my own NIV uh, verse 7 it is they saw on the contrary when they saw that I had been entrusted so they recognised another version I'm looking at NIV and it says the private group recognised it's okay Paul you've been given you're going to the Gentiles Peter to the Jews they recognised whereas this noisy group of spies were giving all sorts of trivial advice that was going to take away their freedom and it's the same with us brothers and sisters there's endless people giving infantile advice but finding the man or woman of God that I can go to turn it round being the man of God that people can come to and not give them silly trivial advice you know I put down what would mine be if I could meet one of you tonight and you to say to me well David tell us what's your problem what's the issue I would say I would like to know why my prayers are so ineffective and just before you say it I've had dozens of people say oh but God always answers prayer doesn't help me true but doesn't help me I need someone to look at my life and say David let's think about it David he that turneth away his his ear from hearing the law even his prayer shall be an abomination have you turned away from hearing God's word I don't think so well then maybe it's Zechariah David when God says when I called they would not listen so when they called I didn't listen David what have you been doing with the guidance you've already been given is there anything is there something in your life that you've not you know that's what I need I don't need someone to come along and pat me on the back and give me nothing. So Paul went to this group who he met in private. You know, and I can think of my own life. You know, and it, it's a sad state of affairs that I'm in. Because I think back to my days of youth and Charles Clayton and when I would go to him regularly every week and as he discipled me I would go to him and say Charles this is where I'm at I'm struggling to memorize scripture I'm struggling to get peace in my mind to pray he would say well let's look at the scriptures in my days, more mature days I would go to Eric Alexander and I would say look this is the issue I'm facing out in the mission field and he would say well I don't know the answer to that but let's think about it over the next few weeks and I remember in probably 1982-83 going out to India flying to Bangalore and meeting John Ridgway and he said how long do we have before your flight in deciding whether I went out as a missionary to India and I said well we've got 90 minutes and then I need to be in an auto rickshaw, you know, these little three-wheelers heading for the airport. And he said, 90 minutes in deciding whether you come to India or not. Okay, let's pray. On our knees, on the stone floor, in BDA flats. And he and I prayed for 45 minutes. I've only got 90 minutes. What do, you, what do you mean praying for 45 of them? But that's, you know, and I can hear him now. Oh, righteous Father. Went to glory a few weeks ago. But, you know, before he would even think of asking me questions. So, Paul says, I went into these men. I met them in private. Because... I'm secure enough 
as a mature man, a believer for many years, to ask, am I wasting my life? Am I off the mark? Now, you can see with his drive for the gospel, but his, I'm sure about the gospel, but I'm not so sure about me. So that was the second uh, point I wanted to make. And then you'll see in verse 6 a very quick point, and I'll do a very quick look at my watch. A Verse 6, you'll see there, he, he says it several times, and for those who seem to be influential, Paul had a very strong view of those who held position, the emperor, honour, the king, honour, the pastor, honour. But as for people, as for your opinion of me, Paul said, doesn't matter. As for people's opinion of people, indifferent. 1 Corinthians 4, 4. How does it go? I've got it written down. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. I'm not even interested in my evaluation of me. And so you can see he's not terribly bothered about what you think of you. He's interested in what the Lord thinks. That's verse 6. Let's look at verse 8, is one of the ones I want us to do. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through or in me. So this is a big issue for Paul. I can see that God's working in Peter. Can I just see that God is working in me? Or if you look at verse 20, if I go to my NIV, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who love but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and died for me. It is Christ who lives in me. And so there is a power. There is there's something working in Paul. Paul's saying to you and me tonight, I know God is working in me. Now, brothers, sisters, let me be very blunt, there's a virus. There's been a virus. I've seen it in the last two years. Powerful virus. And it's a virus of my friends losing their faith. They've been going on with the Lord for 40 years. And they are now nowhere. I don't mean not coming to church. I mean, I no longer think that you're saved by faith. There's a virus. Maybe you've not experienced it. It's everywhere with my university friends, with some of my Indian friends, with people I've known for years. There is no sense in them of the power of God. And that being so, I'm worried. I need to know what Paul knows, for Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. They recognised that God was working in me. And so, does God's power work in me? And I'll have to flick through my notes faster. But Paul talks repeatedly about the power that I may know him, Philippians 3.10, and the power of his resurrection. Do you know what I want? want, Paul says, I'll tell you my ambition. My ambition is to feel the power working in me. And, and so that's what he wants, wants to see. He wants to see that power. You'll be able to guess this quite quickly. But I recently had a baby lying on my chest. And her wee legs were going like this as if she was uneasy. There was something unsettled in her tummy. This is just last week. And then all of a sudden I heard gurgle, gurgle, gurgle and the wee legs went down and I know she didn't smile but it looked like a smile and she said there's something working in me and brothers, sisters so 
you need to ask me. I need to ask you. you. My Lord said, David, if you're in the kingdom, there will be yeast. You might lose your saltiness. But is there any evidence of life? Is something working? Is something driving you along? And I have to say that when I was preaching this morning and this evening, there is a responsiveness amongst your good selves to God's word. There is a hearing. There is a listening. And that's a wonderful thing. Brother, sister, can I say to you, don't lose it. Don't lose it. It's precious. You've got it now. Don't lose it. Verse 10. You'll see there that, uh, if I can find verse 10, only the ass does to remember the poor. It's fascinating on how the poor became such a big issue. But, brothers, sisters, it was wonderful for me to sit outside this morning and see that there's an offering for the Slavic Gospel Association. And this church, I know, maybe I shouldn't know, but I know this church is a giving church, is a kind church, that you have given to places that others haven't. And that must be a fragrant offering. And it was just lovely to see it, thinking about Galatians 2, that your kindness and charity I know about. And I bless you for setting that example. And so, you know, if you think back to the Free Church of 1843, that... What was it marked by? It was marked by powerful preaching. It was marked by a resolution against immoral activity. It was marked by sending out missionaries. But you know what it was also marked? 1843, as you know, 1846, the potato famine. Every history book on the potato famine will mention the free church of Scotland let me read from Wikipedia maybe we shouldn't be quoting Wikipedia on a Sabbath but here we go the free church of Scotland strong and affected area was prompt in raising the alarm and in organising relief being the only body actively doing so in late 1846 and early 1847. Relief was given regardless of denominations. The preachers gave liberally to the Roman Catholic population. No discrimination. Kindness and generosity. Uh, additionally, the Free Church organised transport for over 3,000 men from the famine-struck regions to work on the lowland railways. This both removed people who needed to be fed from the area and provided money for the families to buy food. It doesn't. It's not this church, but as, it, it's fascinating to see. Well, it doesn't affect this church. But when I think what my generation of Christians, forget yourselves, will be remembered for. My generations of Christians will be remembered for this. That we, quite rightly, we fought a losing battle against all the weakening standards of morality in this land. My generation of Christians will not be remembered for the kindness to the poor. And I stand condemned. And they said to Paul, please remember the poor. And if you read it, I was doing from my own devotions in 1, 2 Corinthians 6, and he, he says to the, to the people in the, the south in Achaia, yeah, he, he says to them, you know, have been 
telling the Macedonians that you're going to be putting money away. And so he, he chills, you know, he, he encourages them. On our kitchen window, I have one of the greatest photographs. It means everything to me. And it's with yours truly, sitting at King Kriya, near Corinth. King Kriya means everything to me from the New Testament. Because it's there at King Kriya that Paul is writing the letter to the Romans. And here's a man writing, saying, I dearly would love to go west. And you can help me to go to Spain. I just, I just love. I'd die to go there with the gospel at regions beyond. But I am required to take money to the poor in Jerusalem. And as he progressed, he knew that in every city, the Holy Spirit indicated that only chains awaited him. But brothers, sisters, I'm going to have to stop and there's lots more in the notes, but you must be famous for giving and kindness and charity. It must please the Lord greatly. And Paul would say, don't forget the poor. And keep going. Because it pleases the Lord. I can't but think Jesus said to the young man, sell what you have and give to the poor and come and follow me. Let me read the, just as we close here, if I can find the, the verse uh, from verse 19 and then we'll stop because it's already four minutes past. For through the law, let me change one word in it, brothers, sisters, as we close this chapter. For through the law, we died to the law so that we might live to God. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loves us and gave himself for us. And that's what Paul is saying to the Galatians and that's what he's saying to us as you can see yourself you just ran out of time in a chapter like this but you can see the texture of the man and what drove him and brothers, sisters it just remains to be said keep going I heard Dr Martin Lloyd-Jones the last time he preached in Glasgow at the Scottish Evangelical Council I didn't go to the railway station because I was a young fellow but as he left the station, the, some people said, sounded a bit boring. But as he left on the train the next morning, his throat pretty spoilt. As he shook every hand, he said, just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. And brothers, sisters, just Keep going, is what the Apostle would say. Amen. Let's, can I just say a word of prayer? Father, we bow in your presence and we thank you that you have kept us going. Amen. So let's uh, sing again. And we're in Psalm 97, verses 8 to 12. To Zion's hill and Judah's towns, your judgments, Lord, great joy supply. Above the earth and all the gods, exalted is the Lord Most High. We have three verses, so let's sing with conviction.
with that last verse upon the righteous light will shine and joy on those of upright ways I couldn't but choose Numbers chapter 6 the Lord bless us and keep us the Lord make his face to shine upon us and be gracious to us the Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace Amen